Well, there is an apocryphal, legendary story that Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, sat down and the angels came around him and began to talk with him. And Gabriel said to Jesus, Lord, do people have any idea what you did for them? That you died for their sins and you offer them eternal life and you invite them into a relationship with you. Does everybody know that now? Jesus said, well, no, actually, right now, only a few people in Jerusalem and in Galilee really know about it. So Gabriel said, well, how are people going to find out? Jesus said, well, I've told the apostles, uh, my disciples, to go into all the world and to share the good news about me, and the people they tell will then tell others, and the people they tell will still tell others until everyone around the face of the earth will know who I am. Gabriel said, but Lord, I I, I spot a flaw in your plan. What if Peter loses his focus and gets discouraged and goes back to fishing? What if Andrew and James and John do the same thing? And what if Matthew goes back to tax collecting in Capernaum? What if everybody forgets it and doesn't go do that? What's your other plan? Jesus said, that's it. There is no other plan. Now, you might have heard that story before, and I I love it because it reminds us that the task of sharing the gospel and witnessing to the wonderful power and relationship with Jesus Christ goes in succession from the original disciples to the next disciples to the next disciples and to us and to disciples who will follow after us. And let me take it for a moment and look at the positive side of that story and what a joy it is when you and I have the opportunity to witness to the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. It's not just that what happens if the plan doesn't work, it's what a blessing it is when we have the opportunity to share what God is doing in the world around us. Now the passage that I read for you today is a wonderful one because it gives a very simple message and I'm gonna tell you from the beginning where I'm going so if you decide to sleep through the sermon, at least you'll know what my intention was on this. And that is that you and I and the American church in general, but you and I in particular, need to move from being consumers of the gospel to witnesses to the life-giving love of Christ. That there is no other plan, but there is also no greater privilege, but that you and I have a chance and an opportunity to do that. And I love this story because it shows, it shows how God interacts in the lives of real people. You have a man who is just searching the scriptures to know who the Messiah is, You have someone who is perfectly positioned to help him understand who Jesus is. But most importantly, we have an example of God orchestrating events in the lives of people, even in world history, to make his gospel known to the world around him. So let's look a little deeper into the story before we go into it. Let's look at the two main characters before we go very far in. There are two Philips that factor in the New Testament. And the first Philip, Philip number one, I'll call him, was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was one of the 12 apostles. He walked with Jesus. He he did ministry with him, and he was there with Jesus until the end. That's not the Philip we're talking about this morning. Somewhere sometime in the early church, a different man by the name of Philip came to faith in Christ, and he began, began serving in the local church, and he was so faithful in what he was doing that when the need came for even greater service, he was chosen. In Acts chapter six, we see the story where people come to the apostles and say, our widows are being ignored in the daily distribution of food. We need more people helping out. So the apostles said, well, 
it's really up to us to be about the ministry of the word and about praying, so let's bring forth seven more people who will help out with serving those who are in need. And so in Acts 6, we see the, the seven deacons who are raised up. Stephen is probably the f- most famous of them, the first uh, martyr of the church. But then the next person mentioned is Philip. So Philip has moved from a new believer to a place of honor in, in showing his heart for serving other people. Well, in Acts chapter 8, the church, after in, um, experiencing some wonderful growth, persecution starts and the church is dispersed out. And really, it's, it seems harsh, but it's also in fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. He told the disciples, you will witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And this begins that missionary focus. And Philip ends up in a town in Samaria. And it says in Scripture that he began sharing the gospel with those, and he performed great signs and wonders in his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. And many, many people in Samaria came to faith in Jesus Christ. So Philip moves from being a a convert to a warm-hearted servant to being asked to be an evangelist, and some wonderful things happen. And now God says to Philip, I want you to take a walk, and I want you to go on this road. Now, before we go to this story more deeply, Philip appears one more time in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul and Luke are on one of the last of the missionary journeys, and this is what Luke writes, and we find Philip here one more time in the New Testament. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So what a great guy. I mean, he, he, he comes to faith in Christ, and he grows in that, and God's, God keeps giving him new assignments uh, along the way, new opportunities. And finally, he settles into this city, has a family. He's probably pastoring a church there. He's got four faithful daughters. I mean, what a great story of God moving in someone's life. Well, what about the other person? The other person is never named for us. He's a eunuch from Ethiopia. We just know what he did. Now, Ethiopia in those days was not the country that we know today as Ethiopia, but it was a larger region south of Egypt. It was kind of a remote area. So if if Philip had preached in Samaria and we get to the ends of the earth, the ends of the earth now have come to Philip. Because the eunuch was from this great area down there that was considered pretty remote at the time. He was in the service of Candace, and that was not a name, but that was a title for what we would call, say, in Britain, the Queen Mother, the the mother of the reigning monarch. He was a eunuch, so he had a physical um, change from who he was supposed to be, who God had created him to be. And he was one who was seeking to know who God was. He had to travel at least 200 miles by chariot to get to Jerusalem on the pilgrimage he was on. And he's returning from Jerusalem, still seeking to know who God is, and he's reading out of Isaiah 53. So we have this man who is um, not a believer. He's not going to be allowed to be a believer because of his situation as a eunuch, but he can be a God-fearer, and he can be close to the Jewish faith, but he wants more. He wants to know who God is. So there's this intersection now. Philip goes on the road according to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. 
And I have to think his senses are all on absolute alert because the Spirit says, go on the road, go take a walk. Doesn't have any more instructions than that. But as he gets onto the road, as he's obeyed God's leading up to that point, the Spirit says, go near that chariot. So he goes near the chariot and he listens and hears this man reading from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a very important text. We find a prophecy in there about Jesus Christ, but it's not the typical messianic prophecy of the conquering hero. It's the messianic prophecy of the suffering servant. And so the eunuch who's been in Jerusalem and he's heard so much about the Messiah is trying to piece this together. How, how is this happening? Who is this person? And he asks Philip, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And note that how Luke records this. Rather than just trying to interpret the passage generally, he uses it to tell the eunuch about Jesus Christ. So a wonderful story. Someone who's seeking to know who God is, someone who is seeking to serve God in any time or place or any time, and God brings them together and brings a man to faith. Now, one of the important lessons of this passage is that it tells us something about evangelism. We tend to think of evangelism as a really scary thing in which we have to confront people with how bad they are and tell them to come to faith. And sometimes that's the truth. We have many instances in the book of Acts where people are confronted with their sin and invited to come to faith in Christ, that those who were once hostile to the gospel then come to faith. But that's not always what's going on. Sometimes there are people who are open to the gospel, who have a desire to know God, who have a desire to have an answer to, to the forgiveness of their sins and a direction for their lives. And those persons, rather than being hostile, are hungering to have their seeking answered. And so this is a wonderful example of that, that God brings them together. He wants to know God, and he's led to faith in Jesus Christ. He is baptized, and then they go along from there. So it's a, it's a great reminder to those of us who wish to serve God that evangelism is not always a really awful thing to do. It's not really hard. It's coming alongside people by the leading of the Holy Spirit and witnessing the life-giving work of God in our own lives. Now, anytime we move into a passage like this, the most important question is, what do we learn about God? And I think we learn three things, and these will be reminders to most of us. This is not new, deep, cutting-edge theology, but this is important stuff because it addresses the issue of faithfulness for all of us who seek to follow Christ. And the first thing it reminds us is that God wants people to know him. It is the very heart of God who has created us and who has offered redemption to us through the power and the, and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that God wants to bring us together in the fold. We know the great text in John chapter 3 when Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus, in addressing his own mission, says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And so Acts gives us an example of the Holy Spirit coming into the disciples, moving the gospel out into the known and unknown world then, sharing the heart of God. God wants people to know him. We have an opportunity in our lives to have a personal relationship with the very God of the universe through the work of Jesus Christ. 
And the second thing we learn when we, we come to faith and we think about serving God is that God wants to use ordinary people in his service. I'm afraid we have a tendency to look in the book of Acts or, or look all throughout the New Testament and say, wow, those folks were really something. That ain't me. And yet each and every one of those persons lived an ordinary life. They grew up in families. They had jobs. They had vocations. They had friends. They had neighborhoods. And God called them out of that into a relationship with him and then into a relationship of serving him in the world around. And we see people growing into this. We see Philip growing from disciple to servant to evangelist to counselor and now to a probably pastor of a church in Caesarea. So you and I are not disqualified from this. We are the very sort of persons that God wants to not only welcome into his kingdom, but disperse into the world in his ministry. And the persons that we see as extraordinary in the book of Acts are all ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God who led them to do the things which they were called to do. So you and I are invited to join this throng, to join this, this work, to join this ministry, and not just to have a personal faith, but to have a personal faith that moves out into a relationship with others somewhere in the public structure. And then thirdly, God wants not only people to know him and to use ordinary folks, but God wants to work through us in our contacts with others. Some of these are day-to-day -day contacts with people that we know uh, Pastor Jane gave a wonderful sermon at the earlier service, and I hope you'll read it online, about hospitality, and about inviting people into our homes, and about reaching out in friendship to other people. So God wants to use our friendships to welcome people into the kingdom. God wants us to meet new people in order to befriend them and to show them the love of Christ. God wants us, in short, then, to offer our lives to others that they might see a reflection of Jesus in us. And one of the most powerful passages of Scripture is in John chapter 17, where Jesus, even before he goes to the cross, prays for this to happen. John chapter 17, Jesus prays that the disciples would be filled and empowered for his work, and that the people who come to know him through the work of the disciples will be empowered. And then Jesus prays for all those throughout the span of time following. That includes us, who will serve him and share the gospel. So the invitation here is for us as we sort through our priorities in life, as we sort through how we prepare in our relationships with other people and how we worship God, in how we're prompted by the Holy Spirit, and most of all, in what is the greatest passion in our lives. And we're passionate about many things, and I think that's legitimate, but is our relationship with God passionate enough that as in the case of Philip, We'll be willing to move from one place to the next to the next, whether it's physically or, or in ministry in our own communities, to serve God in new ways. So I want to focus this down in application to three questions. And the first question is this. In this story, who do you identify with? The wonderful thing about Bible stories is that we are drawn into them not only to observe what's happening to those people in those places, but to live into this and say, you know, if I were Philip, what would I do? Or if I feel more like a seeker right now as the eunuch, what, what would I be doing in order to, to move ahead? And, and the are you a person seeking to know God better? Are you a person seeking to respond to God's leading? Are you 
maybe a little bit of each or not enough of both. I mean, we're all over the place, you know, in these stories. We live different ways in them. But is there someone you identify with? And I would ask you if there is someone that you ponder this. You continue to move in this story throughout the week. Second question is this. Are we searching the scriptures diligently with an active, very active curiosity and a commitment to knowing Jesus better? It's not just that we want to know the scriptures. It's that through knowing the scriptures, we come to know the Savior in better ways. 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. So as we read the scriptures, we are encouraged, our lives are corrected, we are trained in order to be able to share the gospel with those around us. And God uses his word as a bridge between our sinful hearts and the people he's calling us to be. And God uses his word to bridge to every sinner the invitation to become a new person in Jesus Christ. One of my um, kind of guiding lights, one of my favorite pastors through the years, and I don't know him personally, but I've listened to many of his sermons and he's been very impactful in my life, is Earl Palmer, who was at First Presbyterian Berkeley and then later at University Press in Seattle. And when he was questioned one time about his ministry, his preaching ministry, this is what he said. He said, I wasn't trying to be an evangelist. I was just opening the text the text meaning scripture. I became convinced that if I could get someone to look at the text, sooner or later the text would win their respect and it would always point them to the living center, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ has your respect, that's not very many inches away from faith. We need to move into our Bible reading. We need to move into it if we're not now. It'll be a tremendous encouragement to you Start with the Psalms and the Gospels as they they speak to our hearts about our needs and as they answer our hearts' questions about who Jesus is. It encourages us, it builds us up, and it prepares us to do the sort of work that God would invite us to do when he says, go stand next to that chariot. So who do you identify with in the story? Are we searching the scriptures diligently? And then my final question is this. Is the trajectory of our lives aimed at serving Jesus and helping others know him? Or are we stuck in focusing on just what Jesus will do for us today? We live in a consumer-oriented society, and we're trained to be consumers. And this bleeds into all areas of our lives. And there are many wonderful things about that, and we're blessed to have the options and the opportunities and, frankly, the affluence that we have in this country. But one of the problems with this is that a consumer society does not groom people to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God unless it is corrected and is guided by the trajectory we want our lives to follow in serving Christ. Back when I was at Boy Scouts 100 years ago, I went to summer camp and we, uh, we worked on our archery merit badge. And frankly, I don't think I earned it. I think it was a gift <laughs> to me. I don't remember ever hitting a bullseye in it. But we learned that as you pulled the bow back, And as you shot the arrow, that the arrow arrow was going to follow the trajectory you had aimed it at. It was going to go with the force with which you had pulled the string back in the direction that you had aimed it and according to how up or down you had put it, how far up and then toward the target. 
One of the things you learn about an arrow is that it doesn't change its mind mid-flight. It doesn't say, oh, I think I'll turn left or I think I'll turn, I'll turn right. It goes. It goes in the trajectory it's aimed. And our lives move in the trajectory with which we aim. Now, unlike the arrow, our trajectory can change. And as we come to faith in Christ and God says, you know, maybe you might want to do this differently or maybe you might want to serve differently in this way. Maybe your priorities and your passions ought to be altered in this way. God can change that trajectory, but our lives will continue to follow that. So how is our trajectory informed by Scripture, faithful to the response of the Holy Spirit? Paul said to the church in Philippi, one of his most sacrificial and wonderful statements, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul is saying, you know, folks, I had a lot of advantages. I had all kinds of things going for me. I could have stayed there. But all of it, I wouldn't trade any of it for my relationship with Christ. Pastor Reuben Job was a bishop in the United Methodist Church. And in one of his writings, he challenged us with these words. This is a constant theme in the lives of those who have traveled the road ahead of us. Abandon yourself again and again to your faithful Savior. So God speaks and leads in our lives in order to spread the good news because God wants everybody, everybody to come to faith and to know the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And it would be the opportunity of a lifetime for us, wouldn't it? As it was for Philip to be responsive to God in such a way that we can share with people this great love, this great sacrifice, this great fellowship, and this great future that we have offered to us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to use us not just for work in the kingdom. God wants us to know the joy of following up on the opportunities he gives us to bring joy to other people and to know that God is using us in the life he has for us. And I invite us to that. And would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we are grateful this day for the knowledge that we have of you through Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for your great love for us. And we're thankful for the opportunity to be used by you in your kingdom. And so, Lord, this day, whether we are those seeking to know you better or those seeking to serve you better or somewhere in between, that you will fill us with your spirit and guide us into your future. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.